Welcome, welcome to another episode of Losing Your Property Investor Cherry with me, your property support partner and fellow property developer Imran Locken. So over the last few weeks, the team have been working really hard towards getting our 20 unit conversion deal ready for launch and getting that show unit ready to go. The soft launch actually went really well. And I think from memory, we had 150, over 150 inquiries in the first few weeks. Um, so a real testament and, and a massive thank you to the team on the ground. I think without them, this site would just not progress at the rate it now is, uh, especially after you know, taking on a site um, during the period of time with COVID, um, it's really a testament to when people talk to you about having the right team around you, the right power team, um, that terminology that you hear in the real estate industry. So whatever you do, do have the right team around you. It's so important in delivering, in delivering great properties and great homes for people. Anyway, who is joining me on the show this week? And I am honoured to have uh, what I would call a man of many hats, or his words, should I say, um, Tom Webster joining me today. Now, Tom has been an investor since he was 18, um, from having a mortgage brokerage that he sold, from buy-to-lets to Airbnb investments, being a chairman of a football club, not sure what division it is, but we'll discuss that with him, and from sanding doors down to setting flats on fire, this is an episode not to miss. So let's open that door to Tom's first deal and let's hear about his experiences and popping his cherry in property. May I welcome to the show Tom Webster. Tom, how are you doing? You well? Yeah, no, really well. Thank you very much for having me on. No, it's a pleasure to have you here. I'm really grateful you joining the show. And uh, can we talk about your experience around property and that first deal that you jumped into? Um, but I think for just everyone listening in, because they might be like, well, who is Tom Webster? Where's he from? What does he do? So I think for everyone listening in today, tell us more about you and your background. Right, okay, so uh, a man of many hats is probably a, a, an easy way of describing myself. Um, so from the, from the property side of things, uh, I've been an investor since I was 18, really. Um, and a lot of my experience is actually more on the financial services side of things. So I run a mortgage brokerage that I've recently sold, um, invested in my own properties, just you know, normal standard buy to lets. Um, we've done a, uh, we was doing a development and I sold my shares in that, which we can talk about. Um, I've also done some Airbnb stuff as well. So sort of a nice wide range of sort of experiences. Um, at the moment, I don't actually have any properties. So I've actually come out of it, um, sort of to, to recalibrate cause I was going to go and hit it a little bit harder, but mainly on the commercial side of stuff again, which we can talk about. Um, but for the last probably about must be a year now. I've been pretty focused on crypto. <laughs> so I've come out of the come out of the property market and just enjoy and just enjoying learning about something new, to be honest with you. Um, so so that's kind of gives you a really quick snapshot of sort of the, the property side, which we can elaborate on. Um right. hats the up that I wear is I'm also a chairman at a football club, which things that I, people find interesting. Um Go and on, share share which football club you're part of just for yeah, those it's a, yeah, it's a Seaford Town football club. So we play in Div one of uh, the Southern Combination. Um, which is, I think, off the top of my head, is the step six of the non-league pyramid. Um, so we're about 11, I think it's about 11 promotions away from winning the premiership. Let's put it that way. <laughs> um, <laughs> that would be a decent run of, run of uh, results, wouldn't it? It would uh, be, yeah. Yeah, and then and then my my actual day job at the moment is I'm the commercial director at Century Funding. So Century Funding is a litigation funding portal. Um, so it's me and my dad actually. So me and my dad work really closely together, and he's been a, a major sort of influence on my whole career, really. 
Um, and yes, that's sort of takes up my time at the moment. And then a little bit of golf. <laughs> and a little bit of golf as well, which is good. <laughs> our, our, main, our main head office is on a golf course, ironically. So if you're oh, well done. Chat, I love that. You'll have to come over because literally we've got the office and the golf course around it. So you must come over sometime and have a round. Oh, 100%. So we're, yeah, now I'm cashing that to. one in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, so, so you've had, I mean, being a fan, you've had actually a real sort of life experience from 18 I mean obviously I, I know well, obviously that's a number of years now from when you're 18 to now I've heard or I've done research so uh, you know he asked for your sort of birth certificate and everything so um, so in terms of like the time you'd be going in you know from 18 to now you know buy to lets finance Airbnbs you know developments and you, you said obviously you jumped out of that one so it'd be really interesting to hear about that um but what uh, and going back to sort of the whole sort of inkling what gave you that sort of spark to want to go into the world of investing you mentioned your father is that a big driver here yeah massively so if we dial right back to sort of the very beginning um so as i was about 16 17 i would work for my dad's business at the time um so they were again uh company called connect so they sat in between brokers and mortgage lenders and they did all the administration so some people might have heard of packages or, or things like that so they they pretty much uh, a mortgage broker would sit down with a client fill in an application form send it off to someone like us at connect or to a packager who would then do all of the heavy lifting and all the admin work that would come with that and we're talking pre-2008 now so this is when mortgages were really good <laughs> and i was literally convinced as a 16 year old that all you had to do is just sign a piece of paper and you'd get a mortgage and it wasn't yeah. miles wrong to be fair um so i was obviously exposed to the finance i was exposed to property and and, and that was Sort of what I was learning um, while I was doing my sort of my summer holidays and stuff like that. Then when I turned 18, I think it was eight, 17, 18, left sixth form, and I probably was looking for a job for about a day. And I, I even remember going out to Seaford Town, like posting CVs into different shops and stuff, trying to trying to sort of drum up some work. And um, my dad rings me and as I was walking down the aisle in Morrison's and he's like, right, we need you to come and work for us. I was like, no, dad, I'm, I'm, I need to find a job. He's like, no, you've had, you've had half a day and you've not found one yet. You've got to come and work for me. <laughs> I, just want, I just want to say, well, well, no, I love working with my dad and stuff. And, and the business that they had was fantastic. So Connect was, um, they were the biggest mortgage administration outsourcing company in the country. So wow. They were doing billions and billions in lending, um, even back then. So that's obviously where the numbers are a bit different now, but it, they were a really decent sized firm. Um, so, so, so as you can imagine, so with that sort of exposure in mortgages, day in, day out, all I'm looking at is hundreds of different types of mortgage applications and different people and, and how things work. And, and you just get, you just, you look at stuff like that and you think, well, if they're doing it, then yeah. why can't I do it? And I think that's where it come from. And, and back in the day, it was like early days of property development TV. So you Sarah Beanies and, and your likes with, with all the stuff. So you're watching stuff on like Grand Designs on Channel 4 and then you're looking at the mortgages and you're thinking, do you know what, I really fancy this. And yeah. I do have a kind of a creative side to me. So, so the idea of taking something and making it better and then also making a bit of money, the, the two sort of work really nicely for myself. Um, and it was actually the first property I bought wasn't, meant to be an investment property but kind of turned into one okay so the first property I ever bought was so again so i was 18 years old um and it's a, a a close friend of mine a, a guy called craig and craig come to me because he knew that, that i was doing okay for myself he was doing okay for himself and he said and he was an estate agent at the time and they'd just got the uh, new development in, in a town called peace haven and there's all new build flats so this is pre 
was all worrying about new build flats. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and at 18 years old, you're like, okay, yeah, you know, I might be a bit young to be moving out, but but let's do it. It should be good fun. Uh, luckily for us, um, and I've probably I've probably gone past my statute of limitations of probably going to prison for this. So <laughs> <laughs> but, but luckily for us, the Craig's um uh, stepdad at the time lent us the money for the deposit. So, but on the basis that as soon as we were in, I would then get a personal loan out and pay him back. And that, it wasn't a lot. We're talking seven and a half grand because at the time you're talking about 95% loan to value. Um, something like, uh, yeah, 95% loan to value, three year fixed, new build flat, all these things that post the recession would just become impossible. Um, but we were lucky or fortunate enough to have done that at the right time. So me and Craig moved in together. We, we was together for a few months. Um, then, then we sort of parted ways a little bit because we just didn't really enjoy living together as such. I was a bit more ready to party and he was a bit more ready to not. <laughs> yeah. And, and the two sort of uh, rub, rub necks a little bit, but we're still friends today and, 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 um, and all that sort of stuff. So we, we never fell out or anything, but then, then I moved out of the flat and then a friend of mine went and rented the room off. Who's actually a closer friend to Craig than I was. So they were like yeah. best mates and I was just me and Craig have known each other since primary school. Um, so they so, so that, so that was that. So that was kind of the first property uh, we didn't actually have to do a lot because obviously new build. So just you know, liquor paint, new carpets, bit of furniture. So it wasn't actually overly invested in. But then it was that must have been 2007-ish. Yeah. And then the 2008 crisis happened pretty quickly after we bought it. And so obviously when, so when we started seeing house prices come down, um, that, that unfortunately for me, and this is after I'd moved out anyway, so it wasn't at the end of the world, but dad's company went under so where they were positioned in the market they were taking such small margins on mortgages that when the mortgages stopped not only is there not enough mortgages for there to be the business but the brokers that are trying to survive they don't send their mortgages to an administrator because they need to keep as much of the the revenues they can rather than sharing that that those proc fees and stuff so dad's company went under um then i then went into recruitment and email marketing all that sort of stuff so i come completely out of financial services completely out of property but me and craig had this property together um a few times i sort of said to craig look let's sell it let's sell it and he was like no 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 which was actually a fantastic thing because later down the line which i'll tell you the next story that worked out really well for us both uh then craig decided that he didn't want to live there anymore he mm. he with a girlfriend, I believe. So we rented it out. So there we've now got this first experience of renting. We actually did one of the council rents. So we had... Um, was it was like a guaranteed rental scheme? Yeah, then. exactly that. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. And, th and they were fantastic. Again, you're getting guaranteed rent from, from the council, which again, being our first sort of dip our toe in the water to know that you're not going to have to worry about that, that side of things helps a lot. Uh, they left the property in a, in a, in a fine state. You obviously needed to repaint all that sort of stuff, but nothing could know. And um, and yeah, so we we rented that for a while. Then Craig actually moved back in with a with a with a different girlfriend, <laughs> and, and, uh, and we, we we negotiated. Obviously, we had a bit of to and fro about how we would do that. And I said, look, to be honest with you, Craig, like, I've just gone from earning a little bit of money. Actually, I think it pretty much broke even. I think the rent was about as much as the mortgage. Okay. Because did you next, did you have a capital repayment mortgage? So you were paying no all interest rent. only again. Interest only. Wow. Interest only. Wow. First time buyer, new bill flat. That's what. I, That's the it, best lending you could ever get at that time, right? Yeah. Amazing. And and then where it got really good is when Craig then because uh, he moved out again, and then we then had another tenant. So it's sort of there was a bit of an overlap. Is rates had obviously crashed during this period, and we'd come off of our fixed rate, and now we're on a really super low interest only mortgage. And it was really cheap. So all of a sudden, now we're actually earning a little bit of money from this property that we were pretty much breaking even on. 
And so we're, so this monthly income starts coming in, which obviously is, is nice. Uh, and then, and then, and then I think Craig was going to buy another property. So then Craig was like, right, let's sell this now. And I was like, yep, no, I'm ready to sell this and made a fair bit of money on that one. I try, I'll do my best to remember the numbers because I can't remember them completely, but let's, let's say it was along the lines of, we bought this flat for about 170 yeah. and I think we ended up selling it for about 250. Um, so then you just split that in half. So, so what's that? That's about, I think we must've had about 60. Is that about right? Yeah, about 60, 70, 60, 70 grand um, at the back end. And, 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 um, did you, I mean, so what's interesting about that is obviously you, you bought at a time just before the recession hit. So obviously you bought at this price recession hit, but then how long did you hold on to it? Because obviously you managed to sell it for a good profit in the end, which is great. Yeah, it was a long time. So if we're 18 till I was about 24, so maybe about six years. Okay, but still, they went up in value, which is good, and you had a good, you had a good uplift, which is great. Yeah, yeah, and it, I think what happened was that we had that initial dip, so we were probably in negative equity for a short period of time, and then, and then when the market was recovering, we we sold it when the market was really starting to steam steam ahead. Yeah. Uh, at that period of time, I was actually living with um, a, a girlfriend, so that money comes in. And we were, me and my girlfriend were going to buy a house together. So this is where the story probably gets a little bit more interesting. So, so we were actually engaged at the time. So we're thinking, right, this is it. This is the future. We're going to be together forever. Um, so, so I actually used that money to clear some debts and, and sort ourselves out to, to get ready for the next one. Um, and I'd have got car finance loans, all that sort of yeah. stuff. And so, so the idea was I'd reduce all my, my outgoing. So then my income would be more powerful when we went to buy the next house. Then we broke up. <laughs> So all of a sudden I'm I'm debt free, which is fantastic, but I've got no cash. So yeah. I'm like, well, I need to buy my own place now because at this point of time, I'm I'm now I own a new mortgage brokerage and, and that's all going really well. So so I'm at the point of like, well, I was ready to start getting back into investing, but now I'm actually I'm at back at zero now because yeah, great, I've cleared some debts, but bad because now I haven't actually got any cash on hand. Um so, so luckily with some mortgage knowledge. What is I went and got a thirty-five thousand pound unsecured loan from Tesco's, and a lot of people don't know this. Um, don't take this as financial advice. I'm not a mortgage broker anymore, so don't. So nothing can come back at me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is um, not financial advice. Everyone this is not in, in, in just any way, shape, or form. Yeah. Um, but but Santander will actually let you use a personal loan as a deposit, which a lot of people. Don't know. Um, so I was, so you obviously you have to have enough income to be able to support both the unsecured loan and, and the mortgage, yeah. which fortunately at the time I did. So, so what I'd done then is I bought a one bed, tiny, tiny little one bed flat, um, just outside of Eastbourne, really nice setting. Everything was really lovely. So with the money I was, I was able to buy. And I think again, off the top of my head, I think it was like 105,000 pounds for this mm-hmm. flat, which is, which, and again, this wasn't. Well, I suppose it was quite a while ago, but it wasn't like ancient. So 105 was still really, really cheap then. It was like, wow. Um, so did that. That was the first real experience of a proper renovation. So yeah, hands got dirty. So I was doing the ripping out of everything, doing a bit of this, doing a little bit of that, um, all the decorating, all that sort of stuff. Got the trades in to do the important stuff, your plumbing and your electrics and stuff. But you uh, actually got on it there yourself, which is good. You yeah. Know. Lo- yeah. Lo- How much did you have to spend? How much did you spend on it? Do you know? Can you think back? Well, um, less than 10 i think okay. i'm turning over in less than 10 a lot of pulling in a lot of favors the, the, the place was really small so that that did help so you got we are talking a tiny kitchen and a tiny bathroom um and then obviously you, you, you carpets and stuff Actually, i'll tell you a funny story about that so talking about getting your hands dirty so so the carpet layers kind of needs he's laid all the carpet it looks fantastic but he's had to yeah. take the door off of the sort of the 
the cupboard or wardrobe, or you want to call it, as you walk in, it yeah. also housed. Um, it housed some. Okay, I think it had a water tank in it at one point, but that was removed for a combi boiler. I know I had the boiler in it, so it had the combi boiler in it. So it's got the boiler and it's got like a, some coat racks and stuff like that. But he's taken a door off, but the door doesn't go back on now because the carpet. So that so I thought to myself, well, I'll I'll plane off the bottom, but I haven't got a plane, so I'll just sand it down. I'll just be there. I know it's going to take a while, but I'll just sand it down. Uh, so anyway, so I'll put the, I'll put this door on top of my brand new kitchen top and I'm starting to sand it down and I'm sanding away and I'm like, God, that smells a bit strong. I'm like, I'm, like I'm, I'm going for it, but like that's starting to smell like fire. And as I'm going, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going and I've looked around and there's this bellow of smoke just coming out. And what I've done is as I've put it on this tiny little kitchen top, I've knocked the electric hob and I've turned it on and I'm literally cooking the bottom of the door. <laughs> and this smoke is just bellowing out. And I'm thinking, oh my God, I look, I have got, there's, when I say this flat, it's got nothing in it. It has got, there's no towels. There's, there's literally, there is yeah. bones in it. So I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to have to throw this door out of the window because <laughs> it's on fire now. So I'm holding this door in this kitchen. Sure, <laughs> fire. And I'm thinking, and now to, I thought, right, now what do you put it down for a second, turn the tap on, put it under the tap and just put it out under the tap. So I'm holding this door and I'm just putting out this fire under this tap. But in my head, my head was thinking, I've got sash windows and if I can't put this fire out, I've got to throw this door window on fire. <laughs> but, but yeah, lucky enough, I was able to put it out. But, but the thing was, is when I, I then actually finished the job and put the door back on, I tried my best to do a real bodge job on trying to fix this because I wasn't going to buy a new door. It was the yeah. inside. Luckily enough, it was on the inside. But every person that come around to view it would open the door and go, what's that? And I'd just have to tell them the same story. <laughs> so yes, that was, that's, that's, that's goes as far as my DIY that's, skills. Yeah, I know. I mean, that, that's all, it's not as bad as a DIY SOS job, though, is it really quite like that? No, but no, not quite. You always set a nicely refurbed flat that you did up on fire, and uh, or your neighbours would have been interested to know why there's a door falling out. <laughs> I mean, depending on what level the flat was, but you can imagine. That, that would have been the best one. Just imagine just sitting in your lounge, just having a nice afternoon, having a cup of tea, and all you see is this blazing fire, and this door just comes flying down. <laughs> Now, I am sorry to interrupt this episode, but we wanted to offer you a free property investment support session with me, Imran Locken. So if you're starting out on your property journey and you're looking for a bit of advice or you're considering a property education program or want help finding your next investment, please pop me a message at modus-academy.com or call our property investment support team on 01993 225030. Anyway. Back to the episode. Did, so did you get your hands dirty because you thought, do you know what, I, I, I need to keep the, the cost down, so I'll, I'll do part of it myself, or just the way you are? I mean, a bit of both, to be honest. Yeah. So yeah, so I didn't have a lot of money because I only had that loan, so that yeah. had to stretch as far as possible. Um, so, so yeah, so the, the money I spent mainly was on actually buying things for it, as in um, like the kitchen and bits and bobs. Yeah. Um, there's a guy called Tommy Cole, who's a, a good friend of mine has done an amazing job of doing sort of the, the trades and he was like a, a dumb, dummy massive favors on that. Um, and then, and yeah, and, then, and I think there was an element of me wanting to get my hands dirty as well. Cause I like to learn new things. Mm. So, 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 so to be able to put a bit of blood, sweat and tears in, I think you feel it more. I think it becomes more real. Um, don't get me wrong. The next one I do, I'm not doing a single bit of DIY. Because <laughs> I've, I've unless done, the fire department are on call. Right? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I've done I've done three now where I've got my hands dirty, and I think I think I've learned everything I want to learn now. <laughs> yeah, 
yeah so, so going forward then you employ the professionals and they'll do the work for you basically 100 percent, 100 percent. yeah i love that i love that it, it, it's really interesting you know because some people don't like to do the work at all I, I certainly can't i've tried um but i'm just no i'm just no good at it it's just not for me um i'm better off just paying experts and know what they're doing basically and focusing on other things but my dear to, to, to be completely fair to you i think one of the biggest lessons i learned on my last one so the last one i did was a two-bed terrace house which is the one i ended up in the airbnb on and and work was absolutely manic at the time so my full-time job was really really busy that was when i was doing the mortgage broken um and i've got this house that was an absolute mess that needed everything so absolutely everything doing to it and i and because i was busy i was actually getting in the way so i think because i was the one that was holding things up to all my fault that it took as long as it took so it was i would do a little bit then maybe i'd spent some money here and needed to borrow some more money there or I needed to do it was just a bit all over the place and I and I always think to myself that actually if I would have just paid people up front just to have got it done the amount of mortgage payments I made for months where I hadn't finished it because I was too busy to do it I probably would have even saved money and so so the biggest lesson I learned there is get yourself out of the way because you probably would you can do more you, you think you're saving money by doing it yourself but actually I, overall I probably ended up costing myself money so that's so that's sort of like the lesson I learned there and I think maybe the smaller stuff you can get away with, like the one bed flat, that's absolutely fine. I'm not doing a dramatic amount of work there, but a two bed terrace house that needed everything and where I'm doing a fair chunk of it, then then it really did make a big difference. Especially, especially when you're trying to do that sort of in your evenings or weekends, you know, yeah. around trying to run a business. And you're tired. And, yeah. 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 You're, 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 you're tired, you're stressed, you're, you're, you're everything and you're going through everything and, and you still want to have a life as well. So you sort of, you're, you're trying to balance a social life. You're trying to do this property. You're trying to, it just, it just doesn't work. Well, yeah. Um, Cause he makes the same to you why you're not coming out on Friday night. Yeah. You know, and then you and go, I, like well, actually, I don't want to come out as on Friday know. night. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Ooh, <laughs> why you not coming out on Friday night? Well, actually I've got to do this and you know, it's just the way it is, but um, yeah, I see exactly where you're coming from, exactly where you came from. And, and, and so, and so with, with the first one you did, I did the refurb and, and well done for getting your hands dirty on a few properties. I think that's great. Um, and the experiences you've had, but like I said, sometimes it's better to get out of the way, as you said now. Um, I mean, can you remember back then sort of what the rental income was, you know, in terms of how, how it was, whether it was a good cash flowing asset No, I for sold you? that one. No, I flipped that one. So that you was- flipped that one on? Yeah, ah. yeah. That was, and, that, and that was always the intention because the idea was, it was- I, I, there was a show on BBC years and years ago, and I think it was sort of like a hundred grand to a million. I think this was the, the premise that you'd buy a hundred grand property and you'd trade your way up to a million by mm. flips. So in my head, I was like, well, I bought this for a hundred grand. Let's see if I can get myself to a million. Um, so the idea was I'll, I'll flip that one. Then I'll try and buy a two bed flat, which I did. And then the idea then into a two bed terrace. Um, and that sort of got me up to a couple of years ago. Um, but yeah, so so I flipped that one. So 105, I purchased it for, I think I, saw, I spent about 10 and I sold it for 135. So for, for, a, for a tiny one, I was quite happy with 20 grand for the, for the amount of effort that's gone in and the 20 grand coming out, I, I, that was pretty cool. It's a good return. And if you think about actually how much of your own capital you put into that deal. Oh, zero. There you are. Zero. It was, all, it was all done through that personal loan. So yeah. And, and then I then rolled what I, what I had left of the loan because um, obviously I, I brought that down a little bit and and then obviously uh, had some more money to roll that all into the next property. Yeah, yeah, and kept going from there. That's really good. That's really good. And again, just the, the experience you've had of being in that finance world, you know, and understanding the mortgage market because so many investors don't get it. They think they can just apply for a mortgage, but they're dealing with a broker and the broker just needs to know all the information. I always say, I always say to people when I'm working with them, tell the broker everything about what's going on in your world. Because a broker yeah. then can try and 
package, put together the right deal that meets the needs of the property, the development or whatever deal you're doing, rather than giving them the basic information and then hoping that they're going to come up with a solution because they're not mind readers at the end of the day. No, no, definitely. And I think and I think what happens with mortgage advice as well is, is it becomes really difficult to think outside of the box because over time you, you get so used to just doing the same sort of thing over and over again that it does then become harder. So and, and so what I'd always suggest to people is to make sure that if you are looking for a financial advisor or a mortgage broker that has their own buy-to-let portfolio or has done what you're looking to do, because they're going to give you much, much better advice than someone has absolutely no personal experience. They they will be able to get you the same mortgages. They'll be able to probably give you the same advice. That's 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 by the by. They pretty much all mortgage brokers should be doing relatively the same thing. But that extra bit of flair that could be the difference of really making it something special and just plodding along the line is finding that advisor that has those experiences, which I always found like they really helped me when I was giving advice to people. They again that exact same thing. Someone would sit down with me. And um, actually, there's some clients to bring to mind right now. They literally sat down with me and said, look, this is what we want to achieve. This is where we are now. Like, I'm miserable at work. I absolutely hate my job. Um, we've been to a couple of these property seminars and, and we're learning about it. And we're trying to get as much knowledge as we've got. And, and, and what can we do? And, and the idea that I will then sit and go, well, actually, I've experienced these things. Let me give you some advice around that. Um, some friendly advice rather than actual financial advice, go and do this, go and do that. Let's have a let's have a human chat. But I don't think you can do that unless the other person has actual real world experience. I, I um, to- totally agree with you with that. I mean, I remember years ago, some of the, one of my first businesses was a sourcing company when I lost my corporate job and um, sourcing properties for other investors. And um, we had a client and we sourced this, their first sort of buy-to-let property. And the goal was to buy it, add some value, and then refinance it, which is now called, what is it, buy, B-R-R-R, whatever the <laughs> terminology is today. You know, back then it was just, you buy a property, you do it up and you refinance yeah. it. It's quite straightforward. <laughs> um, so, so I remember, you know, she, we, I used to always say, like, please, if you can use the mortgage broker that I recommend, because I know that they're also an investor, so they understand the property market. Um, but that client wanted to, use their own so i said that's fine you want to use your own but i did say try and you know in my opinion maybe take a product that allows you that doesn't fix you in for long term so don't take sort of a two three year fix because really you're probably going to refinance this after six to eight months um because the goal was to then buy more that was a goal here and and she would have got a good equity release um and lo and behold buy the property the mortgage that she's advised take out was i think it was like a five-year fixed and i'm there going what do you do you know again that's uh, that not understanding that the 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 next step so a five-year fixed the reason they probably would have done that is that you can get more money for the rental income so that so that the way that uh i think it's i'm trying to think off the top of my head now i think it's like the the, uh, it might be the pension regulators one of the regulatory bodies put together a framework of saying Mm. This is how you do buy-to-let calculations, and you have to come in, in with this framework. And if you do a five-year fix, you can actually borrow more against the rental amount that you've got. So sitting there with a lazy broker, they've probably gone, well, you might as well go for a five-year fix. You can get more for your money, and, and you've got this security over a longer period of time. It's a very lazy piece of advice. But that's where you're not taking into consideration what the client is actually in the middle of doing. And if you don't have that experience or knowledge, then you're probably going to be given that lazy advice left, right, and center. Yeah, and I, absolutely. And I, I would hazard a guess that if you was to go to that broker and look at all of their buy-to-lets, the vast majority of what they were doing would have been the same sort of thing. Same, the same sort of five-year fixed potential. Yeah, 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 exactly. You're probably right. Probably right. So that, that, it was an interesting experience hearing that, you know. And again, I think that's so true about having the right people to work around you, sort of thing. So, so you've had uh, so an interesting um, 
deal that you did as a flip rather than as a buy to let. Did it as a flip with a with a burnt out door, which is, I'd love that. I love that. <laughs> it's amazing, and and it was profitable, which is great. You know, I mean, if you if you looked back at sort of, I know that that sort of first flip is your first sort of you know real experience, hands on yourself doing it rather than with uh, friends or everything. Were there any sort of big mistakes, other mistakes or learnings that you took from that experience? Anything else that came through? Um, I think. One of the big, the big one, the big mistake was that last one. You know, I was saying about me doing a lot of the work on that, on the, on the two bed terrace. Mm. Um, I think I should have been more self-aware of how busy I really was and how much time I could actually give it. Uh, should have budgeted a lot better. Should have sat down and done some better figures. I think arrogance is probably the wrong word, but definitely overconfidence. I think going off of the, the, the two that went really, really well to an extent, I got my hands dirty on both of them. They both were decent profit. They both literally did exactly what I thought they would do. Yes. So, so in your head, you're thinking, well, I know what I'm doing here. And then going for the two-bed terrace. It's not a massive project. Obviously, people out there be listening going, well, it's only a two-bed terrace. What's the... But for me, going from a one-bed flat to a two-bed flat to a two-bed terrace, that needed a lot more work than the other two because the other two were mainly new kitchen, new bathroom, and a redecoration. Where well, this one was top to bottom, everything was an absolute mess. What, like, was it rewire the lot, basically? Do you think? Um, I got away with the rewire. Yeah, yeah, every but it was like you literally just had to pull every all the walls needed replastering. Yeah. The whole garden needed literally gutting. The the loft needed needed sorting out. Um, there was there was some electric work that needed doing. New lights for it was just everything. When you walked in, and if anything you could see was new. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think I think maybe like I said that overconfidence of me going into that one. And the, the lack of self-awareness of how busy I was, I think really put me in a, I was, I'd lost before I'd even started. And, and then I was always trying to catch up with myself. So then when I eventually sold that, luckily at a profit, but not, it was, it was the profit I was expecting, but the cost was so much more and the time was so much more. So even though, yes, I had predicted how much it should be worth at the end and, and got pretty much that, it, it, was, it was all the stuff before that that I really messed up. Um, so as much as you sitting there thinking, oh, well, I'll buy this and it was going to cost me this much and then when I make this much, you need to make sure it is going to cost you that much and it is going to take that much time because that, that little bit in the middle is really, really important. <laughs> <laughs> you are right. It is really important, isn't it? And, and that's right, you've got to value your time right as well. You've got to value your time. And, you know, if you're stuck there evenings and weekends having to try and get this project finished and it means it's delaying it and then you're just, and, and you're sort of then falling out of love with the process then as well, aren't you? Big time. And I think, and I think honestly, again, that self-actualization, I think because of how much, effort i was putting in how stressed i was mm. you do then start begrudging going around there so you do it's oh my god i've got to go and do another evening whereas the previous ones actually didn't i just quite enjoyed it do you know and there was that little bit of a buzz of like you'd finish painting a room and you look back oh i've done a good job here where where in that one i was like oh, i can't i'd like i can't be in there do you know like i hate i hated being there because it just it was just i look around and go there's so much to do i was so overwhelmed once i'd actually got started because i also because of what i was doing at the time is i was living in them so I was buying them and refurbing them around the outside of myself. So I'd go in. The plan in my head was always I'd go in, I'd get the bedroom, and I would literally just make the bedroom perfect. So then I could close the door, and then at least I've got a nice little safe space. I'd have takeaways and blah, 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 and I always make sure I've got running water so I can have a shower and stuff. But I'd had a nice little clean, safe zone, and everything else was just a mess. But with this one, I didn't. I just got in there and just ripped the whole place apart. And then I was like, I can't even live here. And then I had to go and live at a mate's. Luckily, my mate's got... um uh, like a cabin in his garden so you can sleep in the cabin separately yeah yeah so I was living in a cabin going back and then you're going back and forth and just the whole thing was a mess really and then like you said you come out the other end of it and you sort of lose a bit of love for it um 
but but that was a big learning experience because because now when I go for the next one, which I am looking at the moment, me, me and uh, Emily, my partner, so we're sort of looking at, at different options at the moment, is that I have now got the what's right to do, what's wrong to do. Yeah. And now I can find that nice middle ground of saying, right, actually, I can come at this with some real experience rather than that overconfidence that, that I'd sort of built up for myself. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Absolutely. And a really interesting start on a journey. Right? And um, and you mentioned, obviously, moving on from there, that you sort of then decided to move into the thought about moving into the development space and what what happened there then yeah so again yeah an interesting story so it's a friend of mine uh we was having some breakfast and we just got talking and she was asking us what what you're up to these days blah 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 and and we were just starting to get into development mortgages so it's sort of Mm -hmm. we were doing more with investors and and developers and stuff like that so we were like we had our eye on it you know our business partners at the time um and we had our eye on it was like well actually again we can do this it's 100% development finance out there and we've got a good understanding of property between the three of us and blah, blah, blah. Um, so she said, she said, well, my grandparents have got a plot of land down in Exmouth if you're interested, they're oh. looking at it. So we're like, okay, well, yeah, let's have a look. So we went and had a look and it was absolutely perfect. So we're like, oh, wow, we've really like hit the nail on the head here. Um, then we raised some, uh, just some, some cash from friends and family. So we raised things 50,000 pound altogether, some of our own cash as well. So, so we, we all had skin in the game and the deal was that we would just double everybody's money as soon as we could either sell it or build it. Um, but, but, but the risk was you might lose all of this. So it was, we was always very open, very honest saying that this is our first development. We don't know what we're doing to an extent, but we do know that we're on the right track and all this sort of stuff. So, yeah. so the risk is real, um, which everyone appreciated. That, that obviously we, we made that very clear at the beginning. You don't want, you don't want to sell people dreams. You know, you don't yeah. want to tell. And again, because we were doubling people's money, we double people's money because one, it's an easy number to work out. <laughs> but 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 also, I think that it was what it warranted. It the risk was high yeah. enough for, for double your money. So if you put in the five grand and you're getting ten grand out in a year or two years, yeah, that's good money for anyone investing in property. And but the risk is big and the risk is real. So you need a proper reward. Um, so anyway, so we then this is the, probably the first mistake we made on this one. So bought that we, we got the land on an option. So we had the option for a year with an option to extend um, to purchase for 250. And if we got to the end of the year, we could automatically extend. But then we didn't have to pay them 300. So we had two years took on an architect. What we did is we took on the local architect who'd done a recent big project. And we sat down with this guy and, and I won't say his name because I'm going to slag him right off now. <laughs> but, but anyway, so we, we sat down with him and, and he was probably one of the most impressive people we've ever sat down with. Now, when you mm. sit in the room and you feel really comfortable, every question you've got, he's got the right answer for it. And we're like, oh my God, we found the absolute godsend here. And, and the whole process was a nightmare. And I think where we never got recommendations, where we didn't really do much research, we just thought this is the guy to go to because of this big project. Yeah. You meet up with him and he is the guy. You're like, oh my God, this is brilliant. But the experience was terrible. It was pretty much, he was great. You'd pay him some money. Then he would disappear, but he still had more work to do. So then you're, you're chasing, chasing lies, misdates. This is going to happen this time, this time frame, this time frame. Doesn't hit, it doesn't hit. Then you're paying some more money, some more money's due. All of a sudden, the service gets really good. And you're like, okay, right, no, right, we're back on track. Pay him some money. Then you can't get hold of him. And you're like, oh, my God. And it's happened a couple of times. And the amount of times I actually had, had proper conversations with him saying, this is really, really bad. You know, like, yeah. I'm yeah. having a proper complaint. Now. I'm genuinely really, really, and I'm not going to swear, because, <laughs> but I'm very effed off. We'll bleep it out for you, all right? We'll yeah, bleep so, it out for you. Yeah, so but, but- I'm... I'm you're right. No, no, Karen. Yeah, and, and again, we're being completely honest with him. So I was saying, like, this is terrible service. I'm saying, like, every time I give you money, you disappear. 
then you get really good again and then you disappear again and it can't keep going on and, and then the problem was that we missed the first deadline and to be fair it wasn't it wasn't 100 him it was probably about 70 percent him and 30 percent the council down in exmouth yeah. they were dreadful like and, and like we even went to the um uh the committee meeting where they decided where to give us planning permission yeah. online. Oh, oh my god like I, I can say this now because I'm never going to do another property in Exmouth. <laughs> but but literally, we we sat in this room, and you when you walk in a room, you just kind of get the atmosphere, and you're like, this is not going to be good. And you've got a load of people sitting around in a horseshoe shape. Yeah. And you do the presentation, and they all then have a chat, and blah blah blah, and then they go around one by one, talking about absolute nonsense that's got nothing to do with your project, and then they vote, and you're like, wait a minute. None of you have said anything about this that makes any sense. Because what they'll do is, they, if let's say there's someone sitting there and they've got an opinion on something that's mm. incorrect, that's completely false, they can say that opinion out loud, and then we and the architect can't correct them, yeah. and no one around the table does. So all of a sudden, you're sitting there going, well, wait a minute, three of you have said things now that are completely false, completely incorrect. But the, you're now going to vote on them. And I know the answer. <laughs> we know the answer. You're wrong. <laughs> but, you've had, but you've had your five minutes, haven't you? So you can't talk now because you've had your five minutes for Zen. And That's the reason exactly I say that. that is is I actually used to be one of those people. Committee. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm telling this live to Tom now. But I used to sit in planning committees in Oxfordshire voting through planning applications. But I understand what you're saying because I remember being told by when I, when I learned planning at the council by the planning officers, they were great. But it was all around facts. They always said to me, it's got to be factual. It can't just be opinion. It has to be factual information you're discussing as committee members. Otherwise, an opinion can be taken in two ways, where if it's actually the highways concern on this site or something, speak factually, it's fine. But lo and behold, the times I've been in committees over the years, um, and sadly, the opinion, the emotion comes out. And you, as, a, as an applicant, on both sides, but an applicant, you don't get the opportunity to, to really have your say. Interesting. Yeah. Or, or just correct them. <laughs> It's like I, don't, I don't even need I don't even need another 10 minutes. I could just go, no, excuse me, that's incorrect. Read page four. <laughs> do you know it, do, the whole process is mad. And I think, uh, and again, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not being horrible to the elder generation by any means, but um I, I read this thing the other day saying about how like the workforce gets to 65 and we sort of encourage retirement at 65. Mm. Everybody running the country is over the age of 65. Yeah. But it's like, well, wait a minute. If like, don't get me wrong, some do a fantastic job and I'm not saying that they're all bad, but all of a sudden it's like, well, actually you're over the age of 65 and the majority of them are controlling the country from the politics, from politicians to local, local politics, everything. But they're not going to be here in, without being horrible, in 15, 20 years time when the decisions they're making makes an effect on everybody else's lives. And I think one of the big problems is not enough, not enough young people get into politics or local politics yeah. because of this. So, so to fix it, you can't because no one wants to do it. So you're kind of caught in this real bad catch-22 that we sort of, we, we, as a country, you're plodding along based on a generation that sort of had their state, don't really understand a lot of the culture, a lot of the technology and the stuff that's getting involved. And again, I'm very sweeping generalising there. I know this isn't the case for everybody. No, but I, I wouldn't disagree. I mean, when I first joined the council as a councillor representing an area in Oxfordshire, I was 21. And I oh remember God, yeah. going, so there you go. I, remember, yes, you know I wonder what I signed up for. I'll be honest with you. I thought to myself, what have I signed up for? I remember going to my first full council meeting. Where I just got been elected and I got there, I walked into the room. And like you said, the, the age demographic, you know, I don't want to talk ill of peer because some, yeah. <laughs> some of the councillors <laughs> know very well, but the age demographic was so different, you know, and it, and it really blew my mind that more younger people weren't doing this. 
And it shocked me because like you said, I remember then having a briefing. I was trying to encourage counselors to create a blog like a WordPress blog years ago. Yeah, yeah. Cause like guys, like, you know, we need to encourage people. We need to tell people what we're doing. It's before like Facebook was really getting out there. So if we create a blog, then you can update what you've done. If you've done something in community, if there's been something that's happened at the council, because I said young people want to go online and see what's going on because you can't get a young person to come to a council meeting. Yeah. But they're going to read a blog. So you need to go to them. They read yeah. a Twitter post, you know, they'll read that. Yeah. So I remember doing this presentation to councillors about it and they were, and, and they were just like, no, why would we want to do that? I said, look, they can comment. <laughs> they can comment and feed back to you. I said, well, why would we want them to feed back? Because that's what we're here for. We're here to take <laughs> your opinion and, and, listen, and listen to their views. It was a really, really insightful sort of moment in my life where I realised, like you said, it's, you know, I think you can change, but you're right, it's hard because you've got to get more young people wanting to get into that environment and doing it. So, yeah. So, um, can I, can I so, ask yes. you, so how, how, without obviously slagging them off again, how welcoming were they to you being younger? So was it almost like an inconvenience that you were there? Like you don't know anything, you're, you've got mm. no experience, like what you're doing here? Or was it, oh, fantastic, there's someone that can educate us on a different generation? Yeah, I, I must admit, I was, uh, I was a bit anxious about what it would be like, but actually they were amazing, being fair. Yeah. They were, right. I think for them, it felt like it was a bit of fresh air to sort of have finally someone young stepping into, into sort of local politics and just getting a totally different viewpoint totally different yeah. viewpoint I, don't get me wrong though I think there were some counselors that probably thought well he's young you know not had the world the worldly experiences yet you know I was only 21 um but you, it's 21 you still have gone through a life you started your life right yeah, and yeah, yeah, um definitely. and you you know a lot about what other young people like so uh which someone sadly in their 60s or 70s at that time wouldn't know what a young person maybe would want this time so um actually they were amazing being fair they were so good the officers actually were great too um I mean, they pretty much tried to use and abuse you from uh, sort of being at events and helping sort of do things with younger people and everything. And we used to run a, like a young person's event once a year and get young people from all the secondary schools to come over. And I really loved doing that because it meant yeah. getting schools, young people to understand what politics was about, how local authorities work. So as they get older, they start to understand, actually, this is what our local council is all about, um, which is the things that they never used to do. So. That's brilliant. I do encourage more people to get involved if they can. And uh, um, it's not easy. It's hard work. But um, yeah. but yeah, they were they were great being fair, being fair. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. So there, so I was a big bad wolf on the other side of the table, basically, on that experience. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so, so, so you went, you experienced a planning committee meeting. So you had an architect that was obviously, we won't name him or her. We had an yeah. architect that obviously was pretty shocking, got paid. Yeah, great, exciting, then disappeared yeah. a few times over. And, and then you went to committee meeting and what happened then that committee meeting so you you what was the scheme that you were actually putting forward what was the scheme you were putting yeah so forward? it was it was for 17 flats and three commercial units wow. uh it's a, re- it's a relatively big well for, for Exmouth, it was a decent sized um project uh for us obviously it was massive it was a, it was a big one for us um but yeah but the reason it went to committee and again this is talking about sort of the almost I, when we got to the end of it if i wouldn't have sold out i probably would have pushed for negligence claim if i'm completely honest so the the architect put the plans forward. The planning office turned around and said, um, yeah, this is great. Uh, you need to change a couple of little bits and we'll pass it, we'll green light it. So we give the architect another five grand, off you go, do those little changes, sends it back to planning. They then decline it and then put it through to a committee meeting. So I'm sitting again, well, wait a minute. The reason we spent this five grand is because you said, if we do these changes, it's done. And now all of a sudden we're at a committee meeting. So not only did we lose a load of time on you asking for the changes, obviously the architect's taking the bloody ages. Yeah. To do and then we then got to go to a committee meeting, which only happens once a month or whatever it is. And then, and then blah, 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 and then blah, blah, blah. So we, we've lost a, no, a load of months just off of the back of that one piece of 
terrible thing. So, so I'm sitting there going, oh, my God, we shouldn't even be here. You've literally told us this is green light if you make these tweaks, which we did. Fortunately for us, it was, I think it was 12 people around the table, 11 approved and one abstained. So, so it was as good as it could have been, really. Um, so obviously that was a bit of a celebratory celebratory that's, that's good that's good yeah. at least went through yeah. you know especially when you're you're freaking out because i recommend a refusal and you think i've now got to go yeah. in front of a load of people in front of 12 people that i don't know try and, and we've got remember we've got an option minutes. on this and the option is running out because of how long it's taken us to get here we yeah. are now now running out of time big time so so not only are we we're now panicking because if if the option expires then if let's say the planning then gets approved the people who own this this land they now have this free bit of planning and we've lost all of our own money and all of our friends and family's money so the, the stress is real because all of a sudden now we're going to committee where we and the thing that really annoyed me about it is when we sat down with the architect again this is talking about like that advice side of things and, and, and doing things right is we said to him that we've got this land at a very very good price so we don't care what you build on it just make it really simple so that planning flies through that was our only objective that was literally, we sat down and there was a fair few of us around the table. And that, that literally, I've verbatim, that is exactly what yeah. I asked. said, I don't care what you build, just make it really, really simple because it's our first one. We just want it to be a nice, easy deal. Doesn't matter. You could have put a one bed bungalow on that. I couldn't care less. Yeah. Just make it nice and easy. And then he decides to put 17 flats and three commercial units, built it right to the edges. So a load of builders like complain that it's, you're too close to the borders. We can't get any materials in, blah, 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 because of where it's located. And just create an absolute nightmare. And so that's that. Listen to what someone's asking for rather than just running off and, and doing what you wanted. Um, but yeah, so, so anyway, so long story short, uh, fortunately, we got the planning permission. Then the next step was to either try and build it or try and sell it. Yeah. Friend, friend of mine comes in as an investor right at the last minute to help us make sure that we can buy the option. So we action the option. So he now owns the vast majority of that profit of that project um, in return of us not losing everything. So and at that point, he paid back all of our investors back their initial capital. So they haven't had their returns yet. But everybody at this point is now back to square one. So you haven't made any money. It's taken much longer than we all were told and anticipated. But at least now you haven't lost anything. So so a little bit of the stress comes down. And now obviously the, the pressure is on to give everyone their return for to having that money out for that time. Um, I won't go into massive detail because it's still quite a sensitive subject, but I had a big falling out with the business partners I had. Mm. Uh, it got pretty nasty, if I'm completely honest. And it got to the sorry point- Sorry to hear that, Billy. That's sorry, mate, it happens. The way I look at it is I sort of consider it as me earning my stripes. I don't think anyone can get through business without being stabbed in the back at least once. So yeah. So, so, we, get, so we get to this point and I just said, look, I don't want anything to do with these guys. I want, I want as far away as I can. And, and luckily, my mate, who was the investor, he said, look, I'll buy your shares out. Um, and then we had two projects at the time. So I'll buy your shares out, both projects. So you're out. Um, you've got a bit of cash. You're looked after. And, and then and I will just I'll solve it myself. So and unfortunately, he's gone on and he's managed to, to sell the project and, and he's, he's made a return and stuff. So it's worked out for him. Um, got me as far away from them as I possibly could. And, and, and now, obviously, life's much, much better. So, so it's a real shame because something that could have been amazing got it got tarnished and it didn't need to be and it was really it was a real it was a proper shame but it is what it is sadly this happens in business we've all been there i've been there as well and it, it does happen in business with um money can change people and opportunities and things and and yes i mean quite you know don't go wrong very very exciting project from a challenging from trying to get it through within that two-year period you know because going from buying it for 250 to now 300 000 because the option terms but 
like you said, you know, your back's against the wall, you're pushing through and you got it through at the end, which is great. Yeah. Um, it's a shame. I think, I think it shouldn't stop people working together, but sadly something like this happened, but. What a journey. I mean, buddy, so far, what a journey you've been on. I love it. So <laughs> we've, got, we've got literally for everyone listening, it's amazing. You know, but uh, doing your own refurbs, uh, the kitchen door, the cupboard door <laughs> thing will never will always stick with me. To actually yeah. go into something quite big, you know, from a planning point of view. And sadly, I think you're right, when you give an architect sort of free reign, obviously this this architect's help us out to big projects. So he's like almost like doing another big project on a smaller plot of land, basically. And Pretty you're saying, much. look, I'm happy yeah. just with whatever it takes to get through planning. And we got yeah. something big through planning, I get that but with a lot of stress and hassle from trying to chase yeah. everything with the team around you. So, crikey, some serious experiences there. Yeah, I love it. I absolutely <laughs> love it. Um, and that was only three years. That's, I'm, I'm 23. Look at the state of it. <laughs> you're not great yet. You're not great yet, but you're doing right. You're doing right. So, 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 so looking forward then from there onwards then. So you said, obviously, you know, in property, you've sort of got out of that sort of industry for a little while then. Tell me more about... The, the sort of business you're in now tell me a bit more about that and then what you're looking to for future because i think that's that's the next stage really isn't it yeah yeah definitely so i'll explain a little bit more into the, the sort of the, the the top level overview of litigation funding in itself because some people mm. might just i've heard of it or even understand it um so litigation funding is, is simply lending someone or not you're not allowed to call it lending because it's not lending, you're invested in someone's claim <laughs> so so we do predominantly commercial litigation so one business needs to sue another business and the, the story I always like to tell is uh, like a David and Goliath. So let's say I'm a painted decorator and I've painted 10 Tesco stores and I don't sue me Tesco's because this is a completely fabricated story. <laughs> but you've painted all of these, you've, you've spent money, you've done all the costs and Tesco's turn around and says, well, I'm not paying you. And you're going, well, I need you to pay me. And they go, well, I'm not going to. But you can't now afford to take Tesco's to court because they've got all your money because you've done all the work. And unfortunately, and again, Tesco's is, is I probably should have said generic supermarket name, but it happens all the time. So, so it's mm. not an uncommon thing for people to renege on contracts and that stuff. And 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 the, if you're if you're if you're a, if you're a uh, Goliath, the banks are a great example. The amount of times they get sued, they're constantly being sued because of how horrific their practices are. Um, but if you're a Goliath, then all you do is you just sit on it and you think, well, if, uh, the longer longer we can string this out, you're either going to get bored. You're going to run out of money, you're going to go bankrupt, or you're going to move on to something new. So we'll just string yeah. this as long as we can. Um, and unfortunately, that is the state of the law, that, that justice is, you can't have justice unless you can afford it. And that's actually something that sort of is built into the DNA of, of the business that we do now is my dad um, went through a whole series where he had to sue somebody and he sat down with some solicitors and they're like, well, how much do you want to get out of this? He was, no, I want all my money back. I won't go into the, the finer details because that's a whole nother four year long uh, process that, 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 that doesn't. That's for another podcast. Now. Yeah. <laughs> that's about like a, a 10 part of that one. <laughs> um, but anyway, so he's sitting in front of a solicitor and he's like, well, no, I want all my money back. And they go, well, no, Tony, you can't have all your money back. That's, that's not what you want. And he goes, oh, Tony, what you want is justice. You can't afford justice. And those words have stuck with us. And that's why we built the business we built now, because all of a sudden, mm. well, no, that is ridiculous. Nobody on this planet should not have, shouldn't be able to get justice because they haven't got enough money in the bank. That's just obscene to me. And you know? yeah. it's just blows my mind. But unfortunately, that's the legal system that we have to work in. So, so, so litigation funding will give that David the money to be able to take a case all the way to court. So all of a sudden, let's say that you are now this painted decorator we were talking about a second ago. You've got funding to take it to court. So then you then issue court proceedings to Tesco. Um, and then Tesco go, well, ah, wait a minute. This is actually going to happen now. We know we owe it then and we'll settle. And you can force that settlement a lot quicker because all of a sudden 
you've now got all of the ammo and the war chest behind you to be able to take a case to court. So, so to give you, again, this top level overview. So most litigation funding over the last, say, 10 years has been big ticket stuff. Yep. So you've got companies like Burford and Harbour Litigation, all these big, big, big multi-billion companies. They're, they're, they're investing in claims of about 10 million, 20 million, 50 million. So they're lending a lot of money. Well, again, I've got to stop calling lending because that's my old lending hat. Um, but they're, 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 they're investing a lot of money. They're investing a lot of yeah. money into these claims. Um, but we noticed the gap in the market saying, well, actually, yes, you guys have got this big stuff, but you're taking forever to make decisions because you're all ex-lawyers. You're all sitting around tables and you've got this big case and you're all saying, right, this is my opinion. This is my mm. opinion. And it can take six months. It can take nine months to even make a decision on whether to fund these claims. Now, all of a sudden you're thinking, well, if I've got a, a small claim against another business and it's, I only need 50 grand, I only need 100 grand. Well, for them to make that decision, it still takes the same amount of time. So we've said, actually, if we bring in technology, we can actually bring that right down. And we've actually managed to bring that six to nine months down into 15 days. So, so the wow. way that technology works is we use a lot of um, sophisticated algorithms that sit behind, the, sit behind the, the actual application. We can make initial decisions within sort of 15 minutes. Again, talking about sort of like the mortgage knowledge that we've got, almost like a decision in principle. So we can do a decision in principle on the fund. You've hit these certain criteria. So we know that there are funders out there for you. Just that never existed before we we brought it into the market. And then the next part is because our system's fully transparent, lawyers, claimants, uh, barristers, cost lawyers, um, uh, insurers, they can all get access to the same case file. So all of a sudden, now you've got this, this sort of sitting in the middle transparent case file, they can make decisions much, much quicker. And we've, we have a few of the funders that we work with. So we work with all of the big boys, but we also work with some small ones. We've actually built something called Fast Track. So the idea of Fast Track is we look at existing case law and the, they tend to, we, we've got two parts of Fast Track. So one is this commercial litigation, um, David versus Clive stuff can, can happen. As long as you're hitting a certain criteria, we will automatically fund that claim. So all of a sudden, as long as you've got these three different opinions, so the lawyer says they're going to win, the barrister says they're going to win, the insurer thinks they're going to win. So you've got these three legal opinions and then you fit some other criteria, we will always fund that claim. So going from having to, have an investment committee make that decision to say, actually, now you fit this criteria, let that's, let the criteria make the decision. We can bring that speed right up and we can fund to more people. Then the next part of it is what we call Fast Track 2, which is case funding, um, scheme funding. So I don't know. So PPI is probably the one that we've all heard of. Mm. So, uh, so take PPI as an example. So there's thousands and thousands of these claims. Um, but, the, but these ones nowadays, if... If you're Japanese knotweed, so probably the best example that we've got, and, and, and some people might even have experience with it. So Japanese knotweed is a claim that we fund. So if you've got Japanese knotweed in your garden, it's someone's fault. <laughs> and fault is usually either the town council or National Rail. So the story actually goes that National Rail planted Japanese knotweed all along the banks of all these train lines across the country. Because of how quickly it grows, that was sort of the benefit that you could plant all these things. It gives you a bit of a cushion and stops like the mud banks from sliding, all this sort yeah. of stuff. It spread like wildfire, as we all know Japanese knotweed does. National Rail then put a load of pesticide on it. I think they've cleared it. All that's happened is it's gone further, it's root deeper and deeper, and then popped up in different people. So all of a sudden, we all know your house could be worth value at zero. It removes any sort of desirability for the property. Um, but because it's someone's fault, where well, there's a blame, there's a claim, the old classic. <laughs> <laughs> but, be but because someone is at fault, um, you can sue to get damages and, and get the, um, the Japanese knotweed re uh, repaired or, or treated. 
So, but to get money out of National Rail or to get money out of the town council, we go back to that situation of, you can't just knock on the door and say, oh, by the way, I've got Japanese knotweed in my garden. Can I have my money? They're just going to say, no, you have to go through a legal process. So our system allows uh, solicitors to, to log in, complete a form, and it says, right, as long as your Japanese knotweed is this, as long as this, and you get a, an expert opinion. So a surveyor goes around, he does the survey, says, yeah, this has definitely come from there. Um, these are the damages. This is what's happened. So you get all of these different forms, you get the barrister's opinion, et cetera, et cetera. But we fund all of that. And it's all on a no win, no fee. So the idea is that we, the system that we've built allows that to happen much, much quicker. So all of a sudden you can do these thousands and thousands of claims because you've got the technology to do it. Whereas someone like Burford, for example, they can't do thousands of individual claims because one, they've got no technology. And two, if they did every case individually to take six months to make a decision on lending someone 10 grand or funding 10 grand, it, it, would, you it could be too late. It would be too it, late. It, that it, person would go bankrupt or, yeah, or would just give the, up themselves, you know, yeah. from that point of view. And, so. and it's so expensive. They, they mm. would never see a return. And um, so the idea is by, by, by making that all really slick, slick and streamlined that you can bring that justice to people. And that's that whole access to justice thing that we talk about. But we do I, like, like cavity wall insulations, another one that property people might find interesting. Um, so back in the day, there was that scheme that um, local councils were helping they were funding people to get cavity wall insulation. Yep. In red brick buildings, that's fine to be honest with you because, yeah, it causes damp, but it's really easy to repair. It costs a couple of grand, bang, 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 and you can solve that problem. But for properties that are built from stone wall, if they've got cavity wall insulation, it's really, really expensive to fix. So not only have you got all this damp ingress, you've got all these problems, it costs a fortune to get rid of it because you've got stone walls. So, so what we do is we fund the stonewall cavity insulation stuff. So if someone fits the, the criteria, has the survey, blah, 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 goes into the system, we say, yes, we can then fund them. And they can then take the original company to court. They've all gone into liquidation because of obviously there were all these unscrupulous companies that went and did all this cavity wall, knowing full well that you can't put it in stone wall buildings, did it anyway. But they just made basically as much money as they could in the short space time, but then shut the company down basically and said yeah. goodbye. Yeah, but they were insured. So you, so you, but then for you to sue them, obviously you're suing the, their PI insurance, but you still have to take that insurance company to mm. court. That's going to cost money and it's going to take time. It's going to take solicitors. So, so we can do all that on a no win, no fee. But we, what our software does is it sits in between the solicitor acting for you and the funder prepared to fund. And, and we just do all of that. But it's, yeah. things in the tree. I've, I've blagged on it for ages. There, no, no, it's great. It's quite, quite, it's yeah, great. quite interesting. It, it, interesting enough, just, just on that, because I think it is interesting for people to understand that sort of service in case they need access to that sort of support. Yeah, um, Because you're right, otherwise, the, you know, the, the, the small investors, the small developers that maybe would think, I've got no clout in the marketplace. Actually, this gives them an yeah. opportunity to try and help. Um, yeah. Interestingly, during during COVID, we'll just mention this briefly and ask a question. That, so during COVID, did you see a spike in, if you're allowed to say it, any particular type of cases that you're dealing with or, or cases that were coming through during the COVID period? We um, not particularly. So we actually only launched uh, Century Funding in 2020. So it was at the very beginning of, is that right? Yeah, it would be, wouldn't it? 21 now, yeah. So, so yeah. literally COVID hadn't started yet, but it's just about to sort of kick off. So we've only really known COVID while running this business. Um, and a lot of that is we've been investing loads into the technology. So yes, we've been taking claims on. We've just hit a thousand claims which for us is absolutely fantastic. It's sort of a bit of a dream to hit that milestone. But like I said, there's tens of thousands out there, maybe even hundreds of thousands. So we're only just scratching the surface. Um, but a lot of the stuff we've been doing over, over sort of the last couple of years is our attention has been on the technology. We want to get that really, really slick. 
because the slicker that is, the more we can do, the quicker we can do, the easier it is for everybody involved. Um, and it's only now that we're really starting to ramp up the volumes. Um, so, so to be able to say, oh, one's done better than the other, we, wouldn't, we, we, hadn't, we hadn't done a big enough sample of any of the markets to be able to say anything. Um, but there are a couple of other interesting ones. So mortgage uh, miscalculations. So mm -hmm. there's a situation with uh, API, APR miscalculations. Um, we don't do that one yet, but that's something that we're looking into and, and trying to work out how we get into that. Uh, you've got pension mis-selling. So there was a couple yep. of companies that really did really unscrupulous pension advice where they were taking people out of final salary pension schemes, put them into private pension schemes, all these sort of things that we know now that like, you just don't touch that. They were touching it, but you can get your money back from this financial services compensation scheme. But you again, you have to do the whole process. You have to get the report and blah, 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 which is expensive to do. Um, I'm trying to think there was another one that I think people would, oh, uh, one that might be knocking on doors of housing associations soon is housing disrepair. So housing, right. yeah, so obviously we have to keep a, a, a minimum standard of, of yeah. living for, for housing association all that sort of stuff. What's happening is people complain to their councils, they complain to their housing associations that there's damp, there's the, the water doesn't work, blah, 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 and it's not getting solved. Yeah, until you take someone to court, they're not going to, a lot of people with that don't have the attention. But all of a sudden, if you can fund these, and these are really small, these are tiny, tiny claims. But again, you could never do these tiny claims in the old litigation funding market because it's just impossible. But we can now give access to justice to all of these different people because of the software that we built. I, I mean, I think that's great in that respect because I remember when I sat on the local authority, obviously you work closely with the housing associations and of course you want to try and support their genuine tenants that need the accommodation, yeah, yeah, yeah. but they, they live week to week, you know, day to day yeah. and, and they won't have the capital. If they've got a problem with the housing association, they can bark and shout as long as they want, but they won't have the capital to take anything further. So I do think there's a lot of great things that you could do with that, buddy. And yeah, um, good time. You know, spent a lot of time dealing with trying to support local residents in that respect. So very yeah. cool. I mean, so, so uh, it's great that then the businesses, you've sort of almost gone back into sort of the finance world in a slightly different format in a way, really, like, you know, yeah. Sort yeah, of, yeah. matching two people together, making it work and, and providing a great service. Um, one last question in my mind was, you know, you talked about maybe going back into property at some point. Is there something that you're thinking of doing? Any ideas about what you want to do next? Yeah, definitely. So, so, so me and Ems are just looking at just your standard single buy to let. Yeah. Um, but I think the, the problem at the moment I've got is because I've got some, I've got a nice sort of nest egg of cash sitting there. That the majority of that is in crypto and it is doing really well. So then you sort of think, well, why, why would I take this money out of someone that's performing really well? They've got no headache. <laughs> and then go and put it in something that's static that, yeah, is good for the long term. So, so, that, so I sort of had this sort of like dilemma in my head, but I, w I will because I want, obviously you want to diversify. You don't want to yeah. keep it in one basket. Um, so we've sort of got our eye on, on a few things and, and we've been doing some viewings and stuff. So, so a, a standard single buy to let there um, potentially. Then my friend that bought me out of the, the previous stuff. So we've been having a couple of conversations about doing some stuff together again, sort of giving my toe back into the bigger stuff. Um, but at the moment, the, the century funding and the football club takes up a fair amount of time. I don't think yeah. I've really got the, the, the time to be going and doing a big development. But yeah, getting get a nice little portfolio single buy to let's again. That's probably that's probably the next on the list. That sounds good. That sounds good. You know, but don't do any of the refurb yourself, all right? Going no, forward, no, no, you've got no, you got no worries about that one. <laughs> Honestly, Tom, it's like a pleasure to have you on, buddy. I really am. I've learned uh, so much, and I think everyone listening, I mean, the experience you had have been amazing, buddy. And um, we'd love to get back on if that's all right. Um, yeah, definitely. I really appreciate you taking the time and, and having me on. I've really enjoyed this. Thank you so much. Well, 
firstly, a massive thank you to Tom for taking the time out to join me on the show. It's a real pleasure and, as you could tell, a great fun conversation around him buying his first deal prior to a recession, then his father's mortgage brokerage going under in 2008, and how holding longer-term assets and not making that knee-jerk reaction to sell really paid off for Tom. Now, what I love is how the business that Tom's and his family does today can really help support many with litigation funding. So if you have a case or need any support, it's worth visiting their website, www.centuryfunding.co.uk. And that's Century with an S. So it's centuryfunding.co.uk. And if you'd love to know more about property investment or even come and see what we do on site, why not get in touch with us at hello at modus-academy.com. And as always, thank you so much for joining me on the show. I'm forever grateful and humbled that you're here with me. And I look forward to speaking to another property investor, and I hope you do too, when we jump in and find out how they pop their cherry in the world of property.